The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. My name is Darian Douglas, and this is The Working Artist Project. I'm back again with the one and only Gregory A.G. What up, Greg? Hey, good evening, Darian. How are you? <laughs> you know what, man? I'm pretty good tonight. I feel, you know, I feel pretty good. I got a okay night's sleep. My kids slept for a total of one hour and 30 minutes, so... You know, oh, you boy arrested. I can do anything, bro. I ain't nothing I can't do today. <laughs> I was I, like, I was telling you earlier, you know, for all y'all listening, Darian has this beautiful, beautiful daughter. And uh, I was checking out this video that his wife posted the other day. And I was, I sent a message. I was like, man, Darian, you got the cutest little girl ever. But I, I guess I, I, it makes sense now. She's got some beautiful eyes, but they look very mischievous. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, man, she definitely on a vibe sometimes, man. But, you know, we, we got some special happening tonight. But before we get to that, I definitely want to um, update you guys about what's happening, where to sign up for our newsletter and all of that. Oh, and we our little summer camp that we got going on. So if you go to secondlinearts.org, you can sign up for our newsletter. And Greg is going to give you a $1 billion idea every week. And I, I'll one give you billion dollar $1 idea. billion. My ideas are $1 trillion, So... Pay attention to my emails more than you do his, but you know. <laughs> and I'll let Greg tell you all about the camp. Oh man, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put a link to uh, federal assistance, the PPP assistance. That's a one billion dollar idea, right? <laughs> hey. <there. laughs> um, but for for all of y'all who are uh, who know some young people out there who are interested in pursuing a career in the arts, music, and uh, want to learn about the business and entrepreneurship. We hope that you guys will consider coming to our Sanaa Music Workshop. I believe it's from the uh, June 14th through the 25th this year. And due to some very generous contributions from the uh, New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation, uh, the Bornstein family, the Anderson family. We have one more that I'm forgetting. The Carrera family. The Carrera family. Yeah. And, oh, uh, and EPNO. And EPNO. So all those wonderful organizations and people have helped make this year's camp free. And uh, we hope that uh, you all will sign up. And I believe our registration will be closing uh, in the next two weeks. So please sign up. And um, that's that's your $1 billion idea right there. There you go. There you go. Oh, so, okay. So let's get straight to business. Tonight, we, we have a, a very special guest. I, I think I, we've never had a composer of his caliber on the show. And also, we've never had someone who has wrote a show that's on Netflix and you know what I mean? He, he's 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 really a, a really versatile guy. I'm gonna let Greg uh, introduce him because that's his homie. Let me let me just say that um, you know, as a as a, a musician who plays an orchestra, you either love or hate your conductor. And <laughs> and I remember when we did our first rehearsal with Buble, um, we did the first rehearsal with no conductor, and then maybe like two or three days later, uh, this gentleman flew in, and from the down the first downbeat. It was like, oh, this guy is killing. 
<laughs> and let me tell you, I've never followed a conductor that was more clear, concise, and knew. And he would like call out random notes in the string section or whoever it was like, hey man, you know, you're a little bit flat or you you missed this one note. And but but really just a, a classy, a classy gentleman, uh, an extremely incredible musician, and one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. Because let me tell you, while we were hanging in the front of the bus watching movies and, and chilling, this guy was in the back every single night on his laptop doing something. And uh, I guess we'll find out what he was working on for that that year and a half on the bus <laughs> tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. But we have a, a wonderful composer, wonderful conductor, Mr. Uh, Nicholas Olaf Jacobson Larson on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Just watching a lot of cat videos back there. <laughs> you were watching cat. Come on, you know you were because the internet didn't work. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, bro. Nick, how you doing? Good, man. Good. How are you, Greg? Man, I'm just, you know, just doing well, practicing, shedding, and uh, glad to have you on the, the show this glad evening. Glad to be here. Man. So uh, so w- what's been going on in your life, man? How, how have you been doing Post, uh, post-apocalypse? Post-apocalypse? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I think we're, all, we're always waiting to see when we're going back on the road with Michael. Uh, and then that seems to kind of, continually be uh you know getting further and further pushed down the road uh but yeah you know in addition to that um it's always a balance of of musical projects and and screenwriting projects um and right now it's kind of uh let's see what am i doing this week i'm, I'm doing some commercial spots doing a, a film um a 15 minute kind of a profile film about a country singer named Ingrid Andrus, um, Grammy nominated singer, uh, which I'm actually, I can talk more about this later, but working on that with Eric Curtis, who's Michael Bublé's bass player. Um, and then my writing partner and I on the screenwriting side, Dalton Lieb, are, uh, we have a number of, this is going to be the most annoying answer, the most Hollywood answer, a number of things that we're very excited about, but we can't talk about just yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, please don't talk about it. We don't want you going to jail yeah, exactly. or uh, That's right. getting sued for a million dollars because of what you said on the show yeah. tonight. Yeah. Hey, man, if it's got anything to do with Marvel, man, can you just can we talk about it when we get off the show? Sure. Or? Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> man, you know something, Nick, that that's super interesting for me about you is your diversity, and, and I definitely want to get into that because I don't know that people who are are uh, conductors are also screenwriters and like, you know, involved in Hollywood. It seems like a lot of times, uh, especially classical musicians are, are are more focused on just that mm-hmm. and everything else is terrible. Yeah. So yeah. what's what's wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, wow. Yeah, why are, you, why are you so diverse? Why are you better than the rest of them? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that when I was younger, um, I did feel more pressure to kind of commit and focus on doing one thing. Um, I sort of, I'll, I'll backtrack a, a little bit further to answer your question with some context, but like a lot of classical musicians just grow up being a classical musician and, you know, you grow up, you study cello or whatever, and you just do that. And your goal is to play in an orchestra or be a soloist or maybe teach at a, you know, university or something. Um, I grew up playing classical piano. My mom was a piano teacher and then playing uh, cello. Um, and I sort of had that classical background, but then I also had a, a pretty big rock background and was a rock and jazz guitar player in my uh, teens. Um, and I'm, I'm 
mediocre at everything now, whatever chops I once had have now, uh, you know, they're in the rearview mirror. But I guess the uh, sort of common thread is that if I'm, if I'm diverse, it's because I just uh, do whatever seems like it's going to be fun and uh, just sort of follow that impulse of like, oh, well, and that's what's led me into writing as well. Um, just have, have an interest in it and uh, ultimately like, you know, maybe five or 10 years ago, I had some sort of like heart to heart moments with um, my uncle, who was a classical pianist who passed away earlier this year. His name was Leon Fleischer. And he would always say, you know, he wanted me to focus on being a classical composer. Um, he comes from the classical world and he had heard some of my orchestral music. And I think, uh, you know, maybe saw enough of a hint of promise where he was like, if you just focus on that, you know, you could be really, really good at that. And I think for a while I, I felt the pressure to do that, not just because of him. Um, and then later he and I talked again and I kind of said, you know, I ultimately that's just not who I am at the end of the day. If I, if I'm going to be, uh, maybe, um, a bunch of these things, maybe I'll be happy just being mediocre at everything. <laughs> uh, but, but my life feels, you know, I'm very happy doing all these different things and, um, my writing partner and I have a bunch of, you know, scripts that we're writing that I, I and I love that stuff just as much as I love conducting for, for Michael, um, and love that just as much as I love, you know, writing film music. So it's a, a long-winded answer to your question, but, uh, ultimately the diversity comes from a, a diversity of interests. Mm. Okay. That's crazy. Just for the record, I think you mentioned something about mediocrity once or twice. And uh, just for the record, there's nothing mediocre about anything you do. <laughs> well, Greg, it's always very high. Yeah, level. I was going to say, you know, uh, yeah. So Greg, Greg was one of the first people I met when, cause we joined the band, Michael's band at the same time. And I think, did, I'm trying to remember like the, like, we, we chatted when we realized we were going to be on the same bus, I think, because Greg and I ride yeah. the same bus together when we're, when we're vagabonding around. Uh, <laughs> but like, man, you know, it's, it's this funny thing with, with that gig too, because um, I don't know about you guys, but like for, for what I do, like I never intended to be a touring musician. Um, the thought crossed my mind, but it's never something I was like working towards with that as a goal in mind, the way it had happened. And this is a, roundabout way of uh getting back to what we're talking about but the way that it happened was i had uh i had been doing some more conducting for other composers in town like film score recording sessions and stuff and got a call to uh do a performance on the voice with with michael and it was just going to be a one-time you know they needed an they had an orchestra and they needed a conductor um and so i did that and then got to know alan chang michael's music director uh and a few weeks later, Alan was like, Hey, can you meet for coffee? And he actually lives like a mile and a half away from me. I'm in Los Feliz and he's close to me here. Uh, and we, we hung out and he was like, Oh yeah, we need a conductor for this tour. We have like a hundred and some dates coming up. Uh, can you do it? And, you know, I talked to my, my now wife uh, and again, it was never something that was like planned on or expected, but we're like, Oh, it seems like a cool opportunity. Um, and now that I've, it, it's this funny thing where, you know, now that, I've done it. Uh, I'm so happy that I got to meet all these people like Greg and Helen and Michael and the other good friends that I have in the Blue Boy band. Um, 
I'm, I'm rambling like a crazy person, but uh, hopefully I, that sort of gives some context. <laughs> and Greg, I mean, you can say, uh, you know, say I'm not mediocre, but all, all I mean by that is, uh, you know, uh, we get in those situations where uh, we have, um, you know, we have an hour, right, to rehearse the new strings in town. And 99% of the time, I'm like the chill conductor who's like your friend. And then as Greg can attest, there's a dark side that can come out. <laughs> and he, he probably has a close better than I was. do. But... I can't remember it. Oh my God, it was so funny. <laughs> he made a meme of it. But, um, Nick, Nick, I'll tell you, I'll tell you from my own experience, you know, I'm a jazz yeah, musician, yeah. you know, and, and uh, I've been in some situations where I'm in the orchestra and, and, and Conductors are always mean. And so I, I believe that you are also a very chill, but also a vicious human being. Because like, if you miss a note, man, a conductor is on your ass and you're just like, man, it's a thousand notes. Man. Yeah. How you hear mine, bro? Right. <laughs> I think, I think one of my favorite moments of the tour, just, I'm going to throw you under yeah, the bus I mean, here, but there was, I think the quote was, the quote was, um, there's two tempos happening. The one I'm conducting and the one you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. But I think that only happened. That, I mean, in like out of like a hundred fifty or so so shows, I think that only happened once. Well, and I think we're <laughs> sort of like naturally gravitating to one of the things that's um, interesting and also difficult about doing that job, which is that like you you have this this wealth of experience in front of you, and and all these musicians are so good, and they have. Their whole, I mean, like I'm the same age as everybody there. Sometimes I'm younger than everybody there, especially in LA when I'm, you know, conducting, you know, uh, an orchestra for a recording session. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. There's a lot of people that were playing for John Williams in the eighties that are, you know, in front of you. And so you have to kind of, that, that teaches you humility, I guess. And that like the old days of, you know, Toscanini throwing batons and being a tyrant are like long gone. And also don't contribute. I mean, I think it's a myth that that type of, you know, dictator conductor actually can bring about the best performance. I think that like, it's a strange psychological thing where you do need to, you have a few seconds when you're meeting a new group of players to somehow command their respect. And it's a weird, it's a weird moment. Those, those, that first like minute of what do you say? And then how do you start a rehearsal? Um, but the way that I've approached it is, trying to make it clear to players that I take the work seriously, but don't take myself seriously at all. And <laughs> that's the way that I've over the years sort of like, I've gotten to that point only after a bunch of kind of awkward false starts and trying to be the serious guy who's like authoritative, but then I just can't do it. Um, and then hopefully just the work speaks for itself. And as Greg mentions, if I, um, if I'm calling out something that I hear that, uh, you know, needs to be fixed, then um, if players have musical respect for you, it will come from your ability to hear problems and then fix them quickly and do it in a way that doesn't make them feel like shit. <laughs> you want to make them feel like valued human beings and members of the orchestra um, and not just like sort of a, a vessel for you to, you know. And also it's like Push we're, around. You know, we're playing some amazing big band charts, but it's not Mahler, you know what I mean? Like we're playing a lot of times to a click track and stuff and it's like, a lot of times my job is uh, really more ceremonial uh, than it is really driving the tempo or something. Whereas on some of the more rubato tunes, then uh, th that's where I earn my, uh, earn my money is on the rubato tunes where it really requires a conductor. 
Yeah. And just, just for the record, I just want to say that Nick has always held himself with the utmost class and respect for everyone. And literally, I didn't even think about that <laughs> moment until just now yeah. <laughs> since you, you brought well, it up. No, man, you I, know, I, I, I believe Nick that. Nick had a tremendous... Go ahead. Sorry. I, go ahead. I was just going to say, Nick had a tremendous responsibility every night that we were playing while we were on the road. And he had to rehearse uh, 50 string players in one hour for a show that was like going to, you know, house 12 or so thousand people. And so that was, uh, you know, and it could be an incredibly stressful situation. And to do it over and over every single night with new people is, uh, could, could be quite a challenge and, and, and quite exhausting. But I just wanted to say that, like, watching you do that all the time, you, you always did it with uh, the utmost class and, um, and efficiency, too. Well, thank <laughs> you. Is, Part of that really comes, cool. too, from having um, Alan and I sort of uh, tag-teaming those rehearsals. Alan, Michael's MD, plays piano during the rehearsal, and, you know, we can sort of... Um, He's, he's done this gig for 17, 18 years. So if anybody knows uh, the intricacies of these tunes, it's definitely Alan. Uh, so it, it makes, I think it makes both of our jobs easier um, that we can sort of tackle, tackle that uh, inherently difficult thing as a team and, and you know, get through the sound check and get to the show and hopefully everything sounds okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. I, I was just going to go back to, to your your experience with Micah um, at The Voice mm. for a couple of reasons. Just because I think the band, I don't, I don't know. I wanted to hate that show. <laughs> I watch it with my wife and stuff. Yeah. But the band on that show, I think, is probably the greatest band on earth because they can they can play anything. Mm-hmm. And But your experience with meeting somebody like uh, Michael Blueblay and then him immediately being like, I want to bring you on a roll with me must mean that you are like an amazing human being. <laughs> because... <laughs> You know, because just because he, he's like, all right, I, this dude's cool. I, I, you know, who there's a thousand dudes that can be a conductor. Mm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But you have to have that X factor, and I'm I'm curious if you know what that is for yourself. You know, I actually think I do. I think I know what it is for me, and I think it, I think it's different for other conductors. And I was kind of speaking to this earlier. I think for me, and I've heard, the reason I know it is because I've heard musicians in town that I respect a lot basically tell me this, which is that. And Greg has alluded to this as well. Like we can work really, really hard and we can produce whether again, it's for a recording for a film score or it's like, I, I obviously not so much in the past year, but I also conduct some like pretty crazy brand new contemporary concert music, you know, a bar of seven sixteen, a bar of 11, you know, blah, 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 blah. like some crazy metric stuff. Um, and crazy atonal stuff too. And it's, 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 again, it's about like taking the job really seriously, but like never confusing that with the, with yourself being important, you know? Um, and I think that, I don't know. I mean, I have the most fun when I'm making things I'm really proud of with people who just like to laugh and have fun, uh, and are like, yeah, you can, you can be working on something really, really serious and like really important piece of art or something, but like, there's no reason that you have to be the typical, um, self-important, like, like the conductor has like a very self-important image, I think in, classical culture. And I think Darian, you uh, alluded to it a little bit earlier of like the, for like some classical people, it's like, Nope, it's just classical and everything else sucks. And like, I, I look to Gustavo Dudamel, who's like obviously a brilliant classical musician, but man, that dude loves uh, rock and pop and rap and R and B. And like, I, I feel exactly the same way about music. It's just like, if it's good, it's good. And it's so cool to see somebody who, represents the classical tradition, but also doesn't talk down to other traditions. 
if that answers your question. I, I, I really love what you said. You said, take, take, um, you take, I take the work seriously, but I don't take myself mm. seriously. And I think that that speaks volumes as to, um, how to get the job done while also making friends yeah. and keeping the yeah, game. Well, especially when you're on the road, it's like, <laughs> you want to like the people you're with, you know what I mean? And so having fun is such a key component of it because you're cramped together on a bus or you're flying around Europe or Australia or wherever it is. And, um, these, it's like, you know, it's kind of like dorm life. These people are sort of your, it's like your dorm floor. It's family. Now family, I, I, I want to take this second to go ahead and let the people hear, um, hear some of your work here. Sure. And, uh, so here we go. I'm going to play it and you can tell them about it as soon as we get done. Yeah, yeah, it fades out. <laughs> Spoken like the, the man who wrote the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just the same <laughs> chord, just We get it. It slows down. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> that was a vibe, man. Tell, tell us about that one. Yeah, so that uh, that's from a, a movie um, called Rwanda and Juliet. That's the main theme to that movie. Um, which I think was around 2015, I want to say, directed by uh, Ben Proudfoot, who last night was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, unfortunately, did not win, but Ben is a, an old friend and a collaborator of mine. Uh, and that, I think that was my first time. Um, yeah, I think that was the first time I recorded at Warner's. We recorded at Warner Brothers um, with, I think, like a 35-ish piece orchestra. Um, so and, cool you know, we're talking specifically about film composing right now. Um, and it's really, really rare to find directors and production companies that want to put the money into a, a, a real live recording when MIDI mockups and samples have come so far as to be able to fool most people's ears. Even, even musicians, sometimes I can play them a mockup and they're convinced that it was a real orchestra. Uh, in this case, Ben is a, he's a dude who, you know, he's so old fashioned and he just loves that, that Hollywood sound. So we got to record that whole score there with, um, you know, some of the best studio players on the planet, guys who have, you know, played on all the movie scores 
going back to probably like you know in et and indiana jones and stuff some of those those guys are still around um yeah yeah and i think that's kind of the, the cue that we just listened to is the sort of as you can imagine the emotional climax of the movie and very old-fashioned thematic writing really tonal melodic stuff which uh i love to do um but if if we listen to any of the other stuff you know there has to be a um this represents maybe one end of the spectrum um and you have to as a film composer be able to do a variety of uh, of different styles yeah how, do, how does it work man like do you know as as a touring musician cats kind of just know you through your reputation but when you write music how do you how do you get started in that like how do people know that you can do it and give you an opportunity to do it I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I think that uh, I think that maybe another common thread that might emerge here chatting is that like you just you you get recommended when people think you do a good job, and um, I think that I was trying to think about this in advance of chatting with you guys, and I think that there's one time in my entire. 10, 11 years of, of doing this professionally that I like wrote a demo for a project and actually got the project one time. And I've written fucking hundreds of demos and every <laughs> other one I did not get. And that's not, that's not, uh, that's, that's not, um, uh, that's, a, that's, I'm not an anomaly. That's par for the course. Uh, so to answer your question, I mean, Somebody hears that you wrote some music, they liked it, they tell their friend who's a filmmaker, that filmmaker invites you for lunch and you chit chat and they say, oh, I have a project coming up, would you wanna talk about it? And then you hopefully do a good enough job and, and have a good enough vibe creatively and personally with the filmmaker that they ask you to do their next project. And in this particular case, the reason I sent you this cue is that um, Ben Proudfoot, the, the director, is a guy who I've, he's the guy that I've worked with the most in a film scoring capacity over, over the last decade. Um, and that's how that relationship started is that somebody sent him some music of mine and, uh, we hung out and we've been working together ever since. Wow. Wow. See that X factor just keep on knocking down yeah. shit, man. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause like, it's yeah, you know, hundreds of demos and you only got one. And, and I think that's, that's definitely a theme that has been constant throughout my life and i'm sure the same with darian it's just like you know work comes from the relation the personal relationships that you have but also you can do the job you know you can do the job plus you know the right mm -hmm. people um but I, I was curious like so what, what what would you consider your first big break or what was like the first job that you you feel maybe like kind of put you on the map in terms of film scoring yeah i it's a funny thing like i think that when you when you look back, it's sometimes easier to pinpoint what that thing was. Um, but but for me, it's I think, and I think this is also because I don't just do that. If I was doing that with one hundred percent of my time, maybe I would be doing different projects if that was the only thing I was focused on. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I, I don't know if um, I think that that score was probably one of the ones that I'm the most proud of, but I'm not sure if that's one of the ones that made the biggest splash necessarily. Um, you know, I did, a, an, I did a show for Amazon that unfortunately got uh, canceled, which I thought was really great. It's a kid's animated show that was several years ago. And I think sometimes you think like, oh, this is the big, you know, it's a big, um, 
it's a big name. It's a big company or whatever. And like life's just going to be easy now and the gigs are going to be pouring in. And that has not been my experience. And I don't mean that to say like, um, that I'm bitter about that. That I think that's just the reality is that it's a constant uh, pounding of the pavement, which as you guys being more players and also I know, you know, uh, composers and, and writers as well. Um, you can have big flashy gigs and you can have big flashy credits, but you still are, you're still finding the next thing. And hopefully you get to a certain point where, you know, you, you can just sit there and say no to a bunch of stuff and only take the cool stuff. But again, I, I find, I find so many things to be cool that I find myself uh, saying yes a lot of the time. That's what's up. You know, the interesting thing about being an artist slash entrepreneur is the 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 continuation like the, you have to always be planting a seed you know mm-hmm. it's like i'm gonna plant this seed and in 10 years you're gonna be a little baby plant you're gonna give me some money and you just keep doing that throughout your career yeah that and, yeah and, you know that is the truth of it there are things both on the music side and on the screenwriting side where i have thought and my writing partner dalton and i have thought on the on the screenwriting side oh that project is dead that's too bad nobody liked it and now they're legitimate, like there's some fucking momentum behind it and there's stuff happening. And again, that falls into the unfortunate Hollywood uh, bullshit category of, I can't go into a ton of details, but things that we're very, very excited about. Uh, <laughs> and then things that as well, where it's like, you know, yeah, you think you did this thing and nobody cared. And then seven years later, somebody's like, dude, I heard this piece of music that you wrote for this thing. Will you come in, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's just the strange way that life works you never know what's gonna hit right yeah exactly <laughs> man let's listen to another one is that cool yeah, right. yeah. is that cool okay, yeah okay. let's sure. listen to this one this one Look, I used to play violin when I was about five, man. You know, you, hey, if you need a violin player, man, hit me up, dog. <laughs> that was beautiful, man. Thanks, that was man. beautiful. I, so, so tell us a little bit about that so, piece. So I, I included that one and then the final one, if, if we get a chance to listen to it, um, for different reasons. That one was a mixture. The first thing we listened to was all live orchestra conducted by me in a, in a, you know, uh, on a soundstage. That was, um, that second piece was 
for, I guess what I would uh, categorize as a bill payer project. Um, I won't say exactly what it's for, but it's for a corporate client, um, also directed by, by Ben Proudfoot, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and uh, a, a hybrid of MIDI instruments, meaning, you know, I think the, I think the piano and the percussion, maybe, maybe a couple other things are MIDI and then, and then you know, a string quartet um, and live flute and clarinet, or, yeah, flute and clarinet, I think, was the lineup. Um, so again, speaking specifically to film scoring, like that, a part of your life as you are trying to only score, you know, studio films is going to be doing uh, commercial projects and branded content and, and things like that, that um, sometimes are really, really wonderful to work on. And then sometimes you need to pay rent. And so you are a musician and you do this. I'm not saying that this piece of music was that necessarily, but just including it as an example of something where you're using your skill set in order to put food on the table. And um, it's just the, the, the business of show, you know what I mean? Uh, and beyond that, um, yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything else interesting musically about that or, or, uh, well, maybe would you, would you mind kind of digging into, um, I guess some of the people watching or people, the future listeners of this, um, may, may not understand that uh, what, what mm -hmm. MIDI is. And again, like maybe the process of doing like virtual recordings. So I, I would, maybe if you wouldn't mind talking about like the difference between maybe like going into the studio and doing something with a string section versus like getting a commission, like this piece where you're actually like charting it out on logic or pro tools and then sending off a couple parts to, to have live musicians play. And sure. how, how does that sure. all work? Yeah. Um, well, I guess like I'll just talk through the what is to me a very mundane and boring um, <laughs> sort of like process of like from getting the gig to delivering the thing. And you guys just tell me okay. to shut up when it gets too boring. Um, so, so, so you you know, so you've got you've gotten the gig, and as we talked about, you got that gig because you knew somebody and you you had a good vibe, and they gave you a chance, basically. Um, so. Then you, you, once you have a locked cut of the picture, whether that's a feature film or a 30 second commercial, that, that just means that the director and producers have decided, okay, this is not going to change anymore. The timing is locked. And so thus the composer can write music to picture. The, the timing being locked, meaning that uh, that won't change so the music won't change. So then you do what's called a spotting session where you sit down with the director and you, you spot through the film or the commercial or whatever it is, and you talk about where the music will go, what the purpose of the music will be, depending on the musical uh, acumen of your director um, or, or vocabulary of your director, maybe some instrumentation choices. Um, I, I work with everybody from like, some directors are like, dude, I have no idea, just do your thing, to, again, in these first two examples, Ben is very, probably the most musical director, uh, the most musical film director I've ever worked with. And he can, you know, talk about oboe and diminuendo and crescendo, and we should have a string ostinato. And I think he also really likes to use musical words when he learns them. Uh, but <laughs> he has a command of the vocabulary, which is really helpful for me because I, I can then know Okay, well, he, do, yeah. he's really clear about what he wants here. That makes my job a million times easier. So you talk through all that. Then I will um, write a draft of the music in my sequencing software, which I use Logic. 
And what I'm doing is I have the picture and I'm taking all the spotting notes that we've discussed and I'm writing a piece of music using MIDI instruments. MIDI is, is an acronym for, what is it? Musical Instrument Digital Interface, I think. Uh, I think so. Basically, comp- <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, I slept yeah. the other day. <laughs> I'm a fucking nerd for knowing that. Um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it, you're basically using computerized instruments to, you know, to create a mock-up that then you can play back for the director and they can listen to it and look at it and decide, is this working? Is this what I intended? Or do we need to make changes? Usually you need to make changes because, you know, maybe you got close to what they were thinking, but, um, so you do a round or two or three or depending sometimes many rounds of revisions until the director has approved of it. And then depending on whether or not you're going to record the whole score live or the entire thing is MIDI, in other words, in the box, just with your computerized sounds, there's two sort of paths from there. So the MIDI path would be, I would um, finesse all of my MIDI because I've, you know, I've played every single part into the sequencer on, on a keyboard, whether it's an oboe or a you know, taiko drum or something. And sometimes you have to tweak those a lot and do a lot of kind of magic to, um, and surgery to make those things sound as realistic as possible. And then, uh, and then you will deliver the final score usually in, I know that you guys know what this is, but for some of your listeners, you will uh, do what's called bouncing stems where you'll take the sections of the ensemble, say if it's a traditional orchestra, you will bounce um, several different stems, uh, which are essentially just like wave files or MP3s of like groups of instruments. So I might bounce, if I have a three minute piece of music, I'll bounce a stem of just the woodwinds, then just the brass, then just the timpani, then just the uh, pitched percussion and so forth down, you know, the score of the orchestra. Um, And the reason for that is that then when they're doing the final mix, the director can say, oh, you know, now that we have final sound and final dialogue into this mix, that triangle part, is actually super distracting. So then they can go into that stem and lower that triangle part without messing with the overall mix of the music. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So now, now that everybody's a MIDI master, <laughs> but you, you know, I think that what the, the important part that people can get from that is sometimes they ask you to play every part because of finances. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's cheaper for them to just pay you yeah. versus 30 people. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I mean? And that's kind of how we get into that. Man, look, let's play this other one. And then we're going to continue our conversation. Okay.
<laughs> bro. <laughs> hey, man, that stupid. one piece of music had everything in it. Man. That was crazy. Yeah. What is that instrument on there? Well, uh, let me let me uh, let me set the stage for this one because this is an example of a demo for a project that I did not get, and uh, I I include it for that reason, but also um, also I mean, if you think about stylistically, like this thing versus the first thing, like obviously they, they're they're pretty far apart. Um, this was, this was, I think a demo for a movie. I think it was for a movie. And I think all I got was from my agent, I got like a brief that said, um, uh, like surf, surf guitars with like a middle Eastern flair. And also it's a spy movie something. It was like some ridiculous combination <laughs> of very disparate elements. And so I kind of was like, all right, fine, we'll just have fun with this. Uh, and actually, I think it's a really fun piece of music. And um, it, it, Darren, one of the things you were saying earlier was about like having, you know, they, they want you to play all the instruments. This is a case where, so I'm a guitar player. I'm, I'm not really a great guitar player anymore, but used to be a decent guitar player. So anything with guitar, I can, I can play. And that makes it easy for anything guitar-based guitar for me to throw stuff on and have it sound halfway decent without having to like, form it out to somebody um so anytime there's like guitar stuff even though again as i said I'm, I'm totally insecure about my 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 chops these days but it's still super fun to do that kind of stuff um the, yeah so so the other instruments in the thing man it's been years but the 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 little middle eastern riff the whatever it is like that's just a sample where i'm like pressing middle c and it like does that whole thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, <laughs> I think that was my like, okay, you know, am I going to really successfully mock up by, by actually playing something that's going to sound legit or can I just buy this sample pack? And I just did that. And um, again, didn't get the job, but uh, who knows? Maybe that's why. Hey man, when you said surf, rock, spy, <laughs> Middle Eastern, right? uh, that was exactly, you, I think you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, like every four bars was a different experience. Like, oh shit, okay, cool. Yeah, it speaks to the absurdity of doing what, what we have to do to, to get jobs. Yeah. Oh man. I, uh, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Darian. Oh, I was just going to say, Nick, I, I kind of want to get more in, into to the screenwriting and you sure. got some 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 dope stuff happening on that end. You you do so much that it's hard to fit it all into an hour. So I I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about that. Um, you've you've had stuff on Amazon or Hulu, so, so Netflix. Which sometimes one? um yeah when I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between talking about music and talking about writing, um it gets a little uh, convoluted. But in the on the screenwriting side of things, we don't have anything that is currently on. We have things that are that have sold and things that are in development. So the one thing that's, that's public is um, a year, oh, I guess a year and a few months ago, my writing partner Dalton and I sold a, um, a sci-fi movie called Endurance, a script that we wrote to Netflix, um, which Greg, uh, Greg can attest to. It was kind of, it was funny cause that happened while we were in New Zealand, maybe. You got a shout out on stage. Hey, boy, boy. So dramatic. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah he he like made this big announcement about it. It was pretty funny, um, but so so that movie um, the the publicly uh, announced things that I can talk about uh, are 
we have a, this wonderful producer, Simon Kinberg, who, who found the script, our agents at CAA had sent it to him. Um, and he's, he, you know, wrote uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. He wrote the Sherlock Holmes movies. He wrote and produced a lot of the X-Men movies. He's a heavy hitter. And because he is also a, a, a brilliant screenwriter, he was able to look at that script and help us make it even better before we took it out to the market and, and sold it. So that is, again, I think that was over a year ago that it sold, but um, there are things happening on that. And hopefully we'll be able to like talk about what those things are uh, really soon. But like a lot of things, it's seeds planted, as you said, Darren, it's like you, you work really, really hard. And then there's a lot of waiting to see what the next steps are going to be. Um, and in the meantime, you, just focus on other stuff and, and plant more seeds basically. With the, with the screenwriting project, are, are you guys still actively involved in the process of the, the movie or did you guys, when you say you sold it, did you sell it? And now it's like out of your hands. Um, there isn't, yeah. I mean, there isn't a lot for us to be active with at this moment. I think the, the, the honest answer is like we were active with it for a while with, with Netflix and with Simon after um, we sold it. And now it's kind of, it's moved on to other, you know, it's moved on to, to next steps. And so we're kind of like waiting for updates and, but, but there's some cool stuff happening. We're excited to kind of move forward with it. So just out of curiosity, like, like a project like that, like how, how long have you all been working on, on this screenplay uh, until this point? It's a good question. Um, I don't have an exact answer for you, but uh, it was something that we had written a draft of in maybe 2018 and then shelved it. And then when we were on tour, had started up with it again. And, and I think we did a new draft of it in fall of 2019. Um, shared it with our reps and they really liked it. And so um, they kind of, got the ball rolling from there yeah hey man so this is like a prize years years yeah and and <laughs> and this is actually quick this is really quick like mm. and you you all still have like there's still years to go cross your fingers <laughs> that it's it, you know but, only a couple of years instead yeah. of like 10 years but yeah i mean it's, right um, yeah and again i think that speaks to the importance both in on the screenwriting side but also uh, at, for us as musicians and having as many unless you've got like the one thing and it's like, this is your baby and this is all you put your, like if you're, if you're, you know, a solo artist and like you just do your thing. But for us who are like hired guns and we, we specialize in a lot of different things, like quantity is important. You know? Absolutely. Hey man, I'm going to ask you a question, man. And look, you ain't got to answer this, but you kind of do. Okay. How does the money work, man? <laughs> how, do, how does, the, how does the money work with something like this? Like I'm, I'm curious like, how do you even know how to set your price? And then how do you know that you're negotiating like points that you're going to get later and this is this kind of thing correctly? On the writing side. You're asking yeah. about on the screenwriting side. On the screenwriting side, yeah. Luckily, we don't have to worry about that and our representatives and our lawyers take care of all of it. So the price of a, a script is set by how much uh, people, different parties who are possibly bidding for it are willing to pay. Oh, oh, so it's this so it's like an auction. Like everybody shows up and they like, yo, I, I'll give you two billion right now for that. <laughs> if, if you have if you have more than one 
if you have more than one buyer interested in the script, then yes, it, it works like that way, essentially. But there's, you know, there's a writer's guild and there's the union and everything, which sets sort of like, here's what the suggested uh, rates are and all that kind of stuff. Right. Now, as a film composer, are you part of SAG or not? Is that, no, that there's, there's really no or? union for composers. I mean, um, there, I think there have been attempts to unionize, but it's such a, it's such a, a, a nebulous concept of like what a composer does and, and how you would assign like unionized rates and stuff for composing music. I mean, I'm not opposed to the idea. It's just, I know that it's been tried in the past and there's, uh, what's it called? The SCL, the Society of Composers and Lyricists is probably the closest thing to, to a union, but um, they function more like a kind of, I don't know, support support groups the wrong term. Uh, you know, just like a like a, 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 a guild, you know, that helps helps people kind of learn the ropes is a poor way of describing it, but basically that's it. Yeah, I think all most unions for musicians in any capacity are kind of just like I, I don't know, I always feel like oh, I don't need your help, bro. Like I think you're asking for less money than I'm gonna ask for. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well and gonna take and a cut. Yeah. Where like some of the unions, like the musicians union the musicians unions in particular, a lot of the rules and laws and stuff that are on the books now, you know, came from a very specific situation in like the forties or fifties or something and and some of those things, we don't have to go into the politics and the specifics, but some of those should be um, adapting with the times and that thing. You telling me they didn't they didn't account for Facebook and the internet in nineteen forty? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey Nick man, we we're getting close to time yeah. and, and as always, I wanna give you an opportunity to tell the people where they can come build on your projects, buy your t shirts, <laughs> buy the your hats and you know, where they can generally connect with you uh, in all the places. Yeah, I'm the worst person at social media. I have There's no place for you to buy anything. I'm not making any money. Uh, I mean, you know, I have a website, njlmusic.com, njlmusic.com, uh, which is, you know, in dire need of being updated. Um, and I'm on Instagram. I guess that's basically it. But um, yeah, I don't, have, I don't have many products to shill, unfortunately. Congratulations, you are working full-time yeah, yeah. and you don't have time to take yeah. selfies. <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your Instagram handle? Oh, that's a good question. It's just Nick Jacobson Larson, all one word. Um, I'm, I'm looking down because I'm looking at it to make sure it's... Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, and, and it's both S-O-N. Okay, cool. So y'all y'all go Nick Jason, Jacobson Larson. Yep, exactly. Uh, to the Instagram, hit him up in his DMs and, and let him know how wonderful he is. We got a bunch of comments on this on this on this live feed. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to really figure out how DMs work. If anybody, uh, okay, <laughs> that's how much of a luddite I am. Oh man, that's all right, man. That's all right. Well, I think the process is you glance at them and then you're busy with something yeah, else and you forget. Phone. And then like <laughs> six months later, you run into the person. You're like, oh man, I'm yeah. so sorry for not DMing. <laughs> that's usually how it goes, man. <laughs> Man, Nick, man, thank you so much for coming on the Working Artist Project. Hey, pleasure to talk to both of you guys. Greg, uh, I hope to see you uh, in the uh, sax clarinet chair sooner than later. I hope to be there, and I hope I, I hope that the next person I see conducting is you. Hey, there you go. My name is Darian Douglas. I'm Gregory Ajid. Uh, Nicholas, thank, thank you, you so guys. much, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Later, y'all. Peace.